0: Hi everyone, Luke again. We're going to read John chapter 21 from verse 1 all the way through to the end of chapter in verse 25. Reading from the NIV, you can listen, you can follow along in your own Bible if you like as well. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He cried up to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in their inn because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning of coals and there were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught, so Simon Peter climbed back in the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples did ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they would finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Jesus, a third time, said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. went where you wanted. But when you are older, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said that to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who would leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things, who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them are written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for all the books that would be written.
1: Good morning, everyone. Uh, for anyone who might be visiting online today, my name is Peter Lockery, and I'm one of the ministry leaders and part of the preaching team at Trendy Church Colin Grove. This morning we come to the end of our Easter series, which we've entitled This Is Not The End working through the last few chapters of John's Gospel. Today we've finished the series on chapter 21, a unique chapter in that it uh, records the appearance of Jesus to the disciples, uh, which is recorded nowhere else in all the other Gospels. In chapters 19 and 20, we've seen the momentous events of Easter, the death of Jesus, and then the resurrection of Jesus. What an emotional roller coaster it must have been For Jesus followers the abject disappointment of the person they put all their hopes in going to his death on the cross only then to see the incredible euphoria of seeing Jesus alive again on Easter Sunday it's truly hard to imagine what it must have been like for Jesus disciples last week we saw how Thomas refused to believe Uh, what the other disciples had told him that they had seen uh, jesus alive until he saw for himself and particularly the marks of crucifixion uh, in jesus and jesus accommodated himself to to thomas um, and that led of course to thomas's great confession of jesus true identity my lord and my god but what now what now after the resurrection It was now clear that Jesus truly was uh, the Messiah, God's Messiah and the Son of God. But he was not the Messiah that anybody had expected. Once the euphoria had died down, what would life be like? What I've called today, life with the risen Lord. Now if you're streaming in from the online website, there is an outline to the talk in the notes section on the right-hand column. And if you have a Bible handy, it would be helpful to have it open John 21 chapter 21 opens with these words afterward Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee or some versions have the Sea of Tiberius. it's another name for the same group of water we have no exact timeline about this incident it's probably a week or even more after uh, Jesus previous appearances Sometime therefore after the momentous events of Jesus' death, resurrection and appearance to the disciples, the disciples had now made their way back from Jerusalem to Galilee, which of course was always their home base. This is only what they had actually been instructed to do because both Matthew and Mark tell us that an angel appeared to the women at the empty tomb to tell the disciples that Jesus was going ahead of them to Galilee and that they would see him there. Of course, what they do while well, they're waiting for that to occur, what do they do? Well, they go back to what they've always done before Jesus called them, return to fishing. In verses 2 and 3, we're told that seven disciples are there, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two unnamed others. So, Peter's suggestion, they go fishing. They don't have a good night. They catch nothing. times I've been fishing, I can certainly relate to that. However, the disciples were about to find out what was in store for them. What life with the risen Lord was about to be like. And as the title of this series suggests, it certainly was not the end, but really only the beginning. Not only for the disciples there. But for every disciple and follower of Jesus to the present day. In what verse fourteen tells us with Jesus' third appearance to his disciples, we see here a wonderful picture of what lay ahead. Life with the risen Lord can be seen in three parts. First, there is an invitation, then a restoration, and then last of all, an instruction. We'll look at each in turn. First thing, the Lord's invitation in verses 4 to 6 we read early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus he called out to them friends haven't you any fish no they answered he said throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some when they did they were unable to haul the net in because of a large number of fish At this, the disciple whom Jesus loved, most likely John himself, recognises that it must be the Lord. And in his typical fashion, Peter jumps into the water and takes off for shore, followed eventually by the other disciples in the boat. When Peter and all the others arrive, they find Jesus preparing food to eat. And then in verse 12 comes this simple invitation to come and have breakfast. Now, some have seen this invitation to eat as simply another way of proving to his disciples that he was truly risen from the dead. But I think that's unlikely. After all, we've just had the incident with Thomas, who was invited to put his hand in Jesus' side. You can't get much more powerful proof than that. And nowhere does the text explicitly refer to Jesus eating. Verse 15 simply refers to the time when they finished eating. no. The invitation to come and have breakfast is so much more. It's an invitation to share life with the risen one. On the one hand, it's an invitation that is set in the ordinary. Jesus comes to his disciples in the very ordinary things of life, the daily routine of life, hard work, professional skills, search for food and preparation. On the other hand, it is an invitation that is Extraordinary. One that the disciples were probably still grappling to understand. Not just to share breakfast with Jesus, but to share life with the risen one. Here is an invitation that would change their lives forever and for eternity. And I think it shows the most natural way, the real essence of the Christian life. You see friends, the Christian life has its essence not in a command, nor in a set of rules, nor in some sort of religious system or organisation or denomination, Anglican or otherwise. It has its essence in an invitation. An extraordinary invitation to share life with the one who created the whole universe. Yet the one who assumed our humanity to die and rise again, the one who now invites us. you and me, to share his majesty. Now it's obvious we don't see him now as the disciples did, but through the gift of his Holy Spirit, his presence is no less real. How then do we accept Jesus' invitation today? It is, of course, as we dwell on his word, that he speaks to us, and as we pray that we speak and respond to him, as we encourage one another to live for him, that we come and have breakfast with him. This is both an individual thing, through personal prayer and Bible reading, and a corporate thing, as we meet this morning, even if online, or in small groups during the week. For remember Jesus' own promise in Matthew 18, was that when two, where there are two or three, who come together in his name, he is with them. And we still look forward again to that day when we will see him face to face at the great banquet that he promised in the kingdom of God forever. So the first thing that comes after the resurrection is an invitation to dine with Jesus, to share his risen life with him every day. And what a marvellous privilege that is. Now that may be one or two of you watching and listening who have not actually Uh, yet had the chance to do that, to accept Jesus' invitation to share life with him. If so, we would love to lead you through that process. On the right-hand side of the screen is the chat section, with reference to a link to our Connect card. If you want to fill that out, someone will contact you. Or you could just simply ask a Christian friend, who may be watching with you now, to lead you to accept Jesus' invitation to come into relationship with the risen Lord it is the most wonderful thing and your life will change for the better forever but there is still much more the Lord's invitation is followed by the Lord's restoration it is specifically directed at Peter but has implications for every disciple of Jesus In verses 15 to 17, we read an exchange between Peter and Jesus. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs." Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You see, there was some unfinished business, wasn't there, between Jesus and Peter, the matter of Peter's denial of Jesus. How could Peter ever be relied upon again as a leader of the disciples after such an horrendous failure? That is why I think this episode is played out in the presence of the other disciples. Peter's restoration needs to be public just as his denial was. Now this restoration consists of two parts. First there is a question and then there's a commission. First the question which represents what I've called a restoration to living dependence do you love me Jesus asked Peter the question three times with a little variation each time do you truly love me more than these do you truly love me do you love me there's little doubt that Jesus asks three times because a short time earlier Peter had denied him three times Peter his hurt when Jesus asked the third time but he may not recognize what Jesus is doing you see it was Peter's self-confidence that had led him to his denial when Jesus told his disciples that one of them would betray him Peter boldly declared in John 13 22 I will lay down my life for you and in the incident recorded in Matthew 26 he went further saying even if all others fall away on account of you I never will this is why I think Jesus asks, first of all, do you love me more than these? That is, more than the other disciples. You see, Peter is hurt because he thinks Jesus doesn't believe him. But that's not the point. The point is Peter's self-righteous dependence and confidence on himself. All that is now gone. He no longer appeals to his own strengths, nor to his strength relative to the other disciples only to the Lord's knowledge of him. Though he may be hurt, we see that he is totally dependent, dependent on the Lord's forgiveness, knowledge, and acceptance of him and his sinful human weakness. And friends, if Peter needed restoration away from self-reliance to loving dependence, then so do we. And the interesting thing is that I think the longer you are a Christian, the more tempting self-reliance becomes rather than dependence upon his forgiveness. I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. We pray the Lord's Prayer not because we're not fully forgiven when we come to know the Lord, but because it expresses our dependence upon him, upon his cross for forgiveness, upon his resurrection, ascension, and gift of the Holy Spirit, which is, of course, to come at Pentecost. That great old hymn, Rock of Ages, puts it well. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. The first part, you see, of restoration is the realisation of dependence. But this is only the beginning. Jesus did have a plan for Peter. Once Peter understood his dependence, then he could be restored to the really important thing, restored to future service, feed my sheep. The question is followed by the commission, again three times with some variation, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. You see, Jesus' real agenda is to reinstate Peter the future service, to be an apostle and pastor to Jesus' sheep. That Peter understood and fulfilled this task is best seen and attested later in Peter's own letter. In one Peter five, in the first five verses there he addresses his fellow leaders as fellow shepherds who care for God's flock, urging them to be good examples, so that they will receive the reward, the chief shepherd, when he appears. And it's no different for any disciple of Jesus, then or now. The Apostle Paul makes that clear for us in the well known passage from Ephesians two, eight to ten. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Saved by grace through faith, but for good works. So often I have heard people Refer to verses 8 and 9 only grace and faith, but leave out the good works of verse 10. The very purpose of grace and faith is that we may be restored to a life of service of good works. The Lord's restoration consists in the realisation of our dependence upon him that we might serve him. An ongoing part of everyday life of living with the risen Lord, despite our weakness. But because of our weakness and our sinfulness, we need his restoration. And then thirdly, and finally, to complete the picture of life of the risen Lord, we have the Lord's instruction. Verses 18 and 19. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger and dressed yourself and went where you wanted, you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you in, you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus makes it clear to Peter that his full commission, his commission to fulfil, feed my sheep, will be costly. It will in fact cost his life. On the basis of these words, the early church has it that Peter was crucified like the Lord but upside down during Nero's persecution. Jesus had already warned them, no servant is greater than his master. They persecuted me, they'll persecute you, he said those words in John 15 verse 20. Just as true today as it was then, especially in many societies, not as free as our own. Regardless, you see the details for each individual, the basic instruction is always the same. Follow me. You might remember when Jesus first calls his disciples, he said exactly the same words, follow me. There's no change. Whether it is 2,000 years ago or today, Peter, the beloved disciple, you or me, to accept the invitation is to commit ourselves to the instruction to follow me. But what does that mean in 2020 for us? Well, obviously it can't mean do exactly what Jesus did because his death and resurrection is unrepeatable. No, it must mean, as the rest of the New Testament makes clear, to imitate him, to imitate him in thought, in attitude, in conviction, to imitate him in his approach to life, to his commitment to our Heavenly Father. To follow me means to seek to do his will in everything as we understand it revealed to us in the Bible. No matter what the cost. In other words, to follow Jesus wherever that may lead. Well, that is exactly what Jesus made clear when Peter asked the beloved disciple about the beloved disciple in verses 20 to 23. We read, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at supper, at the last supper, and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? One of my favourite movies is one I'm sure many of you have seen before, is Chariots of Fire. It's a bit old now, and I'm sure lots of you have seen it. It's the story of Eric Liddell, chosen for the 1924 British Olympic teams to run the 100 metres. It was held in Paris, and unfortunately the heats were held on Sunday. And so Liddell decided he wouldn't run on Sunday because of his Christian convictions about what he thought uh, ought to be done on the Lord's Day. Eventually, um, he swapped to the 400 metres and quite amazingly won that event. It was such a shock to the world that he would not run. It was in the papers everywhere, lots of criticism all over the world. What was such a shock. Ought we not to see this sort of thing all the time? Someone who stands up for what they believe in, but we don't. Because most of the time we tend to measure what we do, the standards of our behaviour, by what others do. Everyone else does it. Why should I speak? Someone else can do it. And I'm afraid we Christians tend to do the same, measure ourselves by each other, rather than the will of the risen Lord. What the risen Lord wants are believers, like Eric Liddell. It would be naive, you see, to think that Liddell was the only Christian at those games, or that another Christian would have made the same decision. Not every Christian would have agreed with him then or now. But what mattered was not God's call upon others, but God's call upon him. That is what it means to Jesus' instruction to follow me. Believers who put their career on the line for him, if necessary, who display integrity in the way they display their work, who won't do things for the boss if they're shady, who be prepared to share the gospel and let it be known we're Christians if the opportunity presents itself, regardless of the ridicule that may come. Believers who put their time and their money at the Lord's disposal, who make adequate time for family life, to bring their children up as Christians or Christian ministry who support the ministry of the church and also the wider needs of the world's poor and the global mission of the gospel to reach out to everyone across the world. Of course, at present in the era of COVID-19, the context for a time is very different. But even during this time, the opportunities to invest in family relationships, take care of those isolated, doing it tough, as well as the opportunities to share a true and certain hope still abound. For believers who follow the risen Lord, no matter where that may lead. Well let me conclude. Easter is a great time, is it not? Even if this year many of us are stuck at home. At Easter we celebrate the greatest events in all of human history. the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promise of Jesus' return. Yet while they are true and very important, the cut and thrust of being a Christian each day does not lie there. But here, in this final scene in the Gospel of John, every day, every day, Christian life, as we await the return of Jesus, every day we have the opportunity once again to accept his invitation to dine, to fellowship with the risen one. Every day we experience the marvel of his restoration as we depend on his forgiveness for the times when we get it wrong and respond to his commission to serve and obey him. Every day we have the opportunity to commit ourselves to follow his instruction, not simply when it is convenient, but wherever that may lead. This is what Easter makes possible a beginning rather than an ending. This is what life with a risen Lord is all about. The only question really, is that what we are on about? What could possibly be better every day than to share in the life of the risen Lord? Let's pray that it may be so. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Easter. We thank you for the celebration and the wonder of the life death and resurrection of Jesus and what it means to us. We thank you that because of that we can actually share life with the risen one, the creator of the whole universe. We thank you that though we are fallen people, often sinful and making mistakes, we're acceptable to you and to Jesus because of his death. And we thank you, Lord, that we might participate in doing what you have always planned for us to do, good works from the beginning, wherever you may lead each one of us. We do pray, Lord, that we may have a great sense of serving you, following Jesus, and that you may make it clear always to us where you want us to go and what you want us to say and how you want us to present the gospel to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.